Attention, this is not legal advice. If you are experiencing a legal emergency, contact an attorney or your local public defender's office. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of Gin and Justice. talk about justice hey i'm justine and i'm amanda welcome to another legal brief with gin and justice it is not the last tuesday of the month no it's not so next week you'll tune in and you'll hear our november exonerations so that's not what we're handling this week (laughs) (laughs) in case you were confused because i might have been (laughs) So, hey, have you left us a review? Because you should. I have personally not, but maybe I should. <laughs> it would give us a review. <laughs> All right. If you guys have not done so, please go to whatever medium you're using to listen to Gin and Justice and give us a review. It helps to put us on the charts of whatever that is, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or something else, and helps to boost these stories and the side of criminal justice stories that we don't often hear and the side of true crime that we don't often hear. So when you have two seconds, go ahead and give us some stars and we will stop bugging you about it. Yeah. And while you're at it, follow us on social media because we're on all the platforms. I know that you wanted to this week talk about one of the things that's happened over the last couple of days. Actually, a few things that have happened. All right. One news article. You want me to go first? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. I found a pretty good article from the New York Times. It was written by Nicholas Bogle Burroughs. Alabama, again, cancels an execution over delays inserting IV lines. Is this about Kenneth Smith? Yeah. Ugh. Well, it's about a number of people, because I don't know if you know, but November's been a heavy month for the death penalty. There's been a number of executions this month. That have gone already, actually. Yes. And that have been scheduled and not gone also. Or, or have started and... Yes. And stopped. Like, ha- Which we'll get into here. In. Yes. So I follow Sister Helen Prejean, who is a major advocate against the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And she discussed in quite detail, I think, the case that you're about to talk about. Yeah. Alabama called off its plans to execute a man on Thursday after a whirlwind few hours in which a Supreme Court allowed the execution to proceed. But prison officials determined they did not have enough time to kill the man before his death warrant expired at midnight. It was the second time in less than two months that Alabama had brought a prisoner into the execution chamber, strapped into a gurney, and began to insert intravenous lines, only to call off the execution and return him to his cell. In both cases, it appeared that the prison officials had struggled to insert the lines into the prisoner after last-minute appeals were thrown out by the Supreme Court. Yeah, and I know the one that just happened the other day, which was Kenneth Smith, they did insert them. They poked and prodded and poked and prodded for like three hours and then Mm -hmm. determined that they weren't able to follow through with it. Yeah, this article was written, it came out on the 17th of November. Keep that in mind. On Thursday, officials began trying to insert intravenous lines into the man, Kenneth Eugene Smith, shortly after 10 p.m. 
but were able to only insert one of the two lines through which the lethal injection drug could be flown. John Q. Ham, the commissioner of the Alabama prisons, said at a news conference that prison officials determined that they could not insert the second necessary line before the death warrant expired at 11.21 p.m., temporarily calling off the execution. He said that people attempting to carry out the execution had tried to insert the line into several locations without success. The episode was strikingly similar to another case in September, which officials sought to execute Alan Eugene Miller, but were unable to insert the line into his veins before his death warrant expired. Following that attempt, Mr. Miller's lawyers had described him as the only living execution survivor in the United States, a group that Mr. Smith has now joined. Earlier in July, Alabama had executed a third man, Joe Nathan James, after struggling for hours to access his veins and apparently slicing into one of his arms in what is known as a cut down. The account of that execution has served as the basis for several appeals of death row prisoners in that state. And in 2018, executioners in Alabama struggled for hours to insert an IV line into Doyle Lee Ham, ultimately giving up the effort about a half hour before his death warrant expired. He was the third death row inmate in the United States to survive a botched lethal injection attempt, and he died of natural causes in prison last year. Interesting. We may have actually talked about that. Yeah. I think we did. Many death row prisoners are middle-aged or older by the time of their executions are scheduled, which makes it harder to find suitable veins than it might be in a young adult. States other than Alabama have had similar problems inserting IV lines. Executioners in Arizona made an incision into a condemned man's groin area earlier this year to insert a line after they were unable to access the veins in his arms. I think we talked about that one too. We did. On Wednesday, prison officials in Texas had to alter their usual protocol to execute a prisoner with a disability who could not fully extend his arms, ultimately spending about 30 minutes to gain access to a vein in his neck. Uh, (sighs) In Mr. Smith's case, his lawyers had successfully persuaded an appeals court to halt the execution earlier on Thursday so that they could argue that the Alabama's problems inserting intravenous lines could lead Mr. Smith to suffer illegally cruel death. But the U.S. Supreme Court overturned that action, clearing the way for the execution in an order with no explanation. The order noted that the high court's three liberal members, Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, and Katanji Brown-Jackson, had voted to uphold the appeals court temporary stay. Even before then, the planned execution of Mr. Smith, 57, had been unusual. This is where it gets super interesting. A jury had convicted Mr. Smith for the 1988 murder of Elizabeth Dorleen Sennett, finding that Miss Sennett's husband, a pastor, had paid Mr. Smith to kill her. In the sentencing phase, the jurors voted 11 to 1 to spare Mr. Smith's life and sentenced him to life in prison without parole. Yes. The judge ordered Mr. Smith to be executed, overruling the jury in a practice that Alabama banned in 2017 and which is no longer allowed anywhere in the United States. Correct. Yep. So crazy to me. That was the whole, that was when that was found unconstitutional. That's when Florida had to change their rules Mm -hmm. and required a unanimous jury to recommend death. So yeah. Okay. Go on. So crazy. Lawyers for Mr. Smith had been unsuccessful in challenging his execution based on the judge's decision, but they filed a flurry of appeals on other matters, including Alabama's recent problems administering lethal injections. That delayed the execution by several hours. 
Governor Kay Ivey of Alabama said in a statement that while Alabama made the necessary change to ban judges from overruling juries' recommendations, lawmakers had chosen not to make the law retroactive in order to honor sentences that had already been handed down and the victims' relatives who were relying on them for justice. Never mind. This guy's family. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck this guy's family. That's totally innocent. You know, like, what about them? Yeah. Well, what's interesting in his case was that I was reading when I was reading about him is there there's still claims of innocence. There's Mm -hmm. DNA Mm -hmm. testing that has never been performed. And you know how the state or the district attorney, whatever, Mm -hmm. whoever's handling it in this state likes to object to DNA testing when it's so interesting, like the Florida Innocence Project director said, if you're so sure this is the right guy, then why not let me just get my DNA testing done? Right. Exactly. God, it's so infuriating. So, yeah. So, yeah. It, like, at least use all means necessary. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, whatever. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> this is some more from her. Although that justice could not be carried out tonight because of a last minute legal attempt to delay or cancel execution, attempting it was the right thing to do, said Miss Ivy, a Republican. My prayers are with the victim's children and grandchildren as they are forced to relive the tragic loss. Never mind this guy's family who has to relive being executed again, probably. Yeah. I don't know why it's so hard for our culture to like treat human beings like human beings. I know. I don't I don't get it either. In a brief email on Friday, one of Mr. Smith's lawyers said that he and other lawyers were working into the morning to draft legal filings and work out their next steps. Tonight is really tough, said the lawyer Jeffrey Horowitz. Maya Foa, the director of Reprieve U.S., a group that opposes the death penalty and has been highlighting Alabama's problems inserting IV lines, said the botched executions amount to torture. The recent spat of disastrous lethal injection executions have shown that whatever the drug, whatever the protocol, condemned prisoners often spend their final hours agonizing in pain and distress, Ms. Boa said. It's just barbaric. It really is. Mr. Smith was convicted in 1996 of murdering Ms. Sennett, the pastor's wife. The pastor, who had offered $1,000 each to Mr. Smith and another man to kill her, killed himself a week later after the murder. And the other hitman was executed in 2010. At his sentencing proceeding, Mr. Smith's lawyers noted that he was 22 years old at the time of the crime and had been neglected and deprived in his childhood. Other mitigating factors included that Mr. Smith was remorseful, had no significant criminal history, and conducted himself very well in jail. Eleven jurors had voted for life without parole. But in the case, N. Pride Tompkins, what a name said that the aggravating factors in the case outweighed those issues. Mr. Smith had been paid for the crime. He had ample opportunity to back out of the murder-for-hire plan and went along with it anyway. Jurors, he said, had heard an emotional appeal from Mr. Smith's mother overruling the jury he imposed the death sentence. Alabama is one of four states, in addition to Delaware, Florida, and Indiana, that ever allowed judges to overrule jurors who recommended against death sentences according to Death Penalty Information Center. All of those states have since outlawed the practice and declared it illegal by the court. Mr. Smith's execution was to be the fourth of last week's in the country. Two prisoners were executed on Wednesday, the man in Texas and the one in Arizona, and a third was executed in Oklahoma Thursday morning. 
Well, I have um, some news, not on the death penalty, but on juvenile sentencing. And for those of you- Is it less depressing than mine? I mean, it is. I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not like a bad thing. It's just kind (laughs) of like catching up with the times, I guess. Well, that sounds like good news. Okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It's not bad news. So for those of you who have not listened to our juvenile sentencing legal brief, it goes to pretty in-depth about some key Supreme Court cases and the purpose of juvenile sentencing and the juvenile justice system throughout the history of the United States, really. And that one, it's pretty short. I don't remember when we released it, but it'll say legal brief juvenile justice or juvenile sentencing. But so in that legal brief, we talked about the case of Miller versus Alabama. And Amanda, I don't know if you remember, this was the Supreme Court case that came and said that mandatory life sentences for juveniles were akin to the death penalty mm-hmm. and were unconstitutional. Yes. And so I what happened was after that, states across the country went and changed their laws and most of them made room for some type of he- sentencing hearing in which the juveniles age, um, maturity, you know, level of understanding was all taken into consideration in their sentencing. And from that, judges could still sentence them to life, but it had to be with a hearing. Most states also had what's called a mandatory review. And what the mandatory review is after they, so if somebody was sentenced to 40 years, juveniles would get a mandatory review after, like, for instance, here in Florida, it would be 25 years. So after they serve 25 years of their sentence, they come back into court. They bring a list of everything that they've done since they've been incarcerated. Um, They have a mitigation specialist again. They show any classes or certificates or programs that they've taken advantage of and any changes that they've made. And then the judge can choose to re-sentence them and review their sentence. So that's present in like every state now. Tennessee has been notoriously harsh on juveniles even though we see little sparks of pro-criminal justice reform in tennessee knowing that their governor bill lee is pretty pro-criminal justice reform for being conservative they have had some pretty harsh juvenile sentencing issues and i think we've talked about some of them Mm -hmm. i think isn't that where that isn't that where the crazy judge was yes 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 that was also there yes yeah Mm -hmm. exactly she handled a juvenile court yeah Mm -hmm. that was like a straight law and order svu episode (laughs) that was so crazy (laughs) right 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 and that was the juvenile justice and i yeah exactly this was a tennessee supreme court ruling that came out on friday and basically there is a tennessee state law that said you know mandatory life sentences for juvenile homicide offenders which as we know from the miller v alabama is unconstitutional so what they would do is okay we're going to give you your review hearing after 50 years so that was their kind of fix to the unconstitutional finding in miller v alabama is okay well we're going to give you a review at 50 years 51 years i think so supreme court justice Sharon Lee wrote in the 3-2 majority opinion, in short, Tennessee is out of step with the rest of the country in the severity of sentences imposed on juvenile homicide offenders. Automatically imposing a 51-year minimum life sentence on a juvenile offender without regard to the juvenile's age and attendance circumstances can, 
for some juveniles offend contemporary standards of decency. There's some statistics that the Associated Press threw in, and the article I'm reading is from the Associated Press, from Kimberly Crucey, Tennessee Court Juvenile Life Sentencing Unconstitutional. Tennessee has more than 100 people who have been sentenced to serve 60 years or more after being convicted when they were children, which is crazy. It's insane. So basically what started bringing light to the harsh sentencing in in juveniles in Tennessee is, of course, the infamous case of Sintonia Brown. And Mm -hmm. for those of you who are not familiar with her story, there's a lot of good um, podcasts that cover her story. There is docuseries, documentaries. Mm -hmm. She was somebody that I think Kim Kardashian advocated for, if I'm not mistaken, to get out. And essentially the tragic story of Sintonia Brown was she was a child. She was 16 and was essentially human trafficked Mm -hmm. um, and was... Um, I don't want to say she was an escort because it wasn't her. I mean, she's a child, so that's yeah, not you what can't consent when you're a kid, right? And so she ended. <laughs> she up was murdering. a rape victim. Yes, there we go. She ended up murdering a 42 year old Nashville real estate agent who was, was raping her. Was raping her for money, um, and she had been sentenced to life. I think maybe. Well, regardless, whatever her long sentence was, the Republican governor at the time, Governor Bill Haslam, granted her clemency in 2019. And he basically stated that having to wait 51 years in prison for a parole hearing was too harsh. And so that was in 2019. And that's kind of when you see a lot of her story come out. You know, she's a really good example of Mm -hmm. why we need (laughs) to treat juveniles differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so that was kind of my piece there. So no, it's not bad news. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's like, yeah, it, why, why are we waiting? Overdue until news. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. So especially for a state like Tennessee who, you know, things may be changing now because unfortunately we're in that polarized society where mm-hmm. every issue is an us versus them issue and they're making it really difficult for people to collaborate on issues so of course during the the election this year we heard a lot of tough on crime soft on crime which i hate those phrasings yeah so it's just let's make sense about crime let's just talk sense right let's be smart on crime let's talk sense about crime like let's not use this tough on crime let's use facts and proof (laughs) let's use facts and evidence right like we have data we have so much studies we have so much data that shows what works in a criminal justice system and we refuse to implement what works i know it's It's so insane so yeah so it's like overdue news but happy to share it i'm glad tennessee is going to be on board with the rest of the country with mandatory review hearings prior to 51 years so (laughs) well that is good good overdue news it is so we hope that you take that with your thanksgiving dinner and (laughs) i think i embarrassed my mom in the grocery store the other day (laughs) because well i don't even know i want to say this on here but anyways we were in the grocery store and she was like stressing about how we didn't have a turkey yet i don't eat turkey so I, i could really care less yeah. And 
I was like, I don't even know why we're celebrating this anyways. We've been stealing land for Native Americans and we're celebrating it with a big feast. And like, of course, we're like in the middle of the grocery store and everyone's kind of looking at me and, mm-hmm. you know, You're not just being a little too real. Here. You're not allowed to talk about that here, Dustin. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you're right. Not, not here in the in the free state of Florida. You're not allowed to talk about that. It's very true. It's very true. <laughs> so I just won't talk about that. I'll tell you guys all to enjoy your Thanksgiving. And then we'll discuss exonerations. And we can be thankful for that together. Exactly. I'm grateful for Innocence Project, um, all of the organizations, the conviction review units that are taking on the exonerations. And I'm excited to talk about them next week. So make sure you tune in. And have a great Thanksgiving, guys. And we'll see you next time on Gin and Justice. Bye. All editing for Gin and Justice done by Gin and Justice Podcast. Artwork by Justin Cardone. Photography by Kimber Schwakey. We'll see you next time on Gin and Justice.